Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. So, Urena, what have you been up to? In terms of horror? Yes. I've been, honestly, in perfect timing for this episode, I've been fucking dreaming again. Okay, go ahead and explain that. I mean, I'm not going to go into detail because I could go on forever, but really detailed dreams that in my, in, in my, that give me the feeling that something scary is going to happen. And I'm not watching any horror films right now that would guide me that way. I just have this weird feeling in the dreams. And obviously because of the type of dreamer that I am, I can get myself out of it before I find out what's actually going to happen, which the hubs happens to think that is the worst thing you could do. He's like, why not see what could happen? And I'm like, how about no? (laughs) How about I get myself out of this fucking shithole and keep myself safe? What if I die? Yeah, but yeah, but you, you tend to have those prophetic dreams. So, I mean, Uh, yeah, I, I do have, I freaked out a woman the other day, not really freaked her out. She thought it was cool, but I had walked, uh, I was in her house and I was like, oh, I, I've been here before. And she's like, no, you've, you've been here before. I've lived here for, you know, 30 years. And I'm like, no, I, I dreamt about this place before I've, I've been here. And she was like, oh my God. She's like, you're one of those. And I was like, well, no, I go, I, it's just weird. It's, it's like deja vu, you know? So yeah. Who knows? Who the fuck knows? But yes, yeah, so those, yeah, they, they freak me out a little bit. I don't think I'm any kind of special empath or witch or anything like that. It's just that I sometimes have really unique dreams. Sometimes I write them down. Sometimes I message you and say, oh, my God, this is fucking weird. <laughs> That's it. But my dreams have been freaking me out as of lately, just giving me creepy feelings. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll allow my mind to wander deeply into it to see what happens, but maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to give somebody a warning, I mean, you, you need to go through it in that dream so you can actually tell somebody what's going on. That's one thing, but if I feel like I'm putting myself in danger, th- uh, and those are, yeah. kind of, those are the kind of creepy feelings I get. Uh, if in, ever in a dream, and I have had this happen before, or I've been told to give somebody a message, I make sure I pass along that message. I've done that before. Nothing special, okay. but, you know, just that's one thing. But if I'm climbing over a wall and I feel like on the under end of that wall is going to be some zombies waiting to tear me up, <laughs> I ain't doing it. Not going to do I it. Those, I had one of those dreams the other night about the zombie thing. It's, it's. I mean, it's a usual thing for me, so it wasn't a yeah. big deal. But Why is that a reoccurring thing for us? What's wrong with us? 
Well, I don't know for myself. I think it's like anxiety. Like whenever my mind's trying to process something like that, it's it, my anxiety is literally manifested as zombies. So same here. Can't do anything. Can't do anything about them. They, you know, they're just there, and I've got to try to survive. And until I wake up, and I, I guess I don't know if that might be something about anxiety itself. But there you go. Maybe that you overcame it or something like that. I don't know why our anxiety has to be zombies. Why can't it be like some cool Victorian ghost? Or actually, that'd be creepy to you. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I guess they just represent all kinds of, you know, uh, impossible things to, you know, have to survive or something. I don't know. They're just they're just a cheap, you know, generic fill-in for whatever's, you know, really bothering you. I mean, if you ever think of surviving, you're thinking of post-apocalyptia and you're thinking zombies. I mean, I just, yeah, you might think of something like, what's that video game? Why can't I think of it right now? Uh... Why can't What's it about? The video, it, post-apocalyptia, literally, that's one of the things in the radio show. Three Dog is the name of the radio host. Oh, Fallout. Fallout. Yeah, Fallout 30. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's one thing, but <laughs> zombies are scarier. <laughs> well, they have zombies in Fallout. They're just fucking uh, shit. Are you serious? Yeah, fucking A, dude. What was that, yeah, like that- in like two or three? Uh, and well, and all of them passed or, well, I think even maybe the first ones, but yeah, three on, I mean, they, they had those, uh, and they're even worse because some of the zombies, whenever they've progressed to the point where, I mean, they're actually like pure, like, uh, sources of radiation, like you get close to them and they can actually kill you with the radiation poisoning. Oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> Why I didn't make it past like the first, oh God. Um, so what have you been doing? Oh, well, I've got several here to go over. Um, so I watched Nightmare Alley, and I'm throwing this on here. Just, It's not really a horror movie. It's 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 directed by Guillermo del Toro, who's done several horror movies. But yeah. It's more of a slice of life morality tale. Um, pretty interesting. It's set during the the time between the great depression and right in the lead up to world war two. I think if you listen to it, there's a lot of, I mean, it takes place over a a time period, but like they're in the background, you hear stuff about the war ramping up and, you know, and some of the war efforts starting in, in, um, like 1940s or something like that, but it takes place starting out with a, uh, uh, carnival in like this depression era town in the middle of nowhere. And then it goes from there, but it's basically, I expected it to be different than what it was. It follows Bradley Cooper, and he's not really a good guy. Like the very first scene that you see him in whenever you start the movie is that he's dragging a, a body that's wrapped up in a sheet through this house, and then like he sets fire to the house with the body inside of it, and it, through the course of the movie reveals who that person was, and and it kind of charts the rise and fall of, of him as a character. If you, I mean, spoiler alert, but that's pretty much what the movie is. It's like mm-hmm. his own hubris comes back to pay him in the, in the, but end. but it's got some neat visuals. I mean, great uh, actors. Yeah. And a lot of great actors in it. Willem Dafoe was really good. And he, there's like one little line in the middle of the movie. I'm not going to spoil it, but he like basically sets up the ending for the entire movie by this discussion he has with um, Bradley Cooper's character. And uh, Kate Blanchett plays a really good character toward the end of the movie. And it's got like that great, whenever they go to New York, it's got that great art deco, yeah. shock type look to it. I mean, it's, it's really well done. It's a really good movie. Uh, probably give it like a four out of five. Um, what made you watched- check that out? Uh, well, because I wanted to watch it whenever it first came out, because, I mean, Guillermo del Toro typically has really good movies, I like his artistic style that he goes with. Yes. And um, 
it just happened to come out the same exact weekend as Spider-Man No Way Home. And there's no way that I was going to watch that versus, I mean, I'm sorry, but Spider-Man was the the big movie that everybody wanted to see. So, yeah. And I mean, it was a water cooler type movie. So if you didn't watch it, whenever it came out on opening weekend, you were going to get spoiled to hell and back on Spider-Man. So I knew I could wait. And it recently came on HBO Max and that's where I saw it at. It was Nightmare Alley, I mean. Hmm. Um, I watched the Scream movie, Scream 5. Fuck, I need to watch one. that. <laughs> it's a, uh, it, I actually really like it. I also give it a four out of five, but um, I was surprised I would like it because I wasn't impressed with the last one that came out. The one with Emma Roberts is the, is the, the final girl through, through most of the movie. Yeah. Um, I just, I didn't, ex- I didn't know what they were going to do with it. And then they bring back one of the characters from the first movie that I had no, I mean, it was just a big surprise that they were going to bring that person back. And they, they make fun of the requel trend, which I'm going to get into in a minute with another movie that was really bad. But uh, the, the process of taking an old horror movie series, bringing back some of the original actors, if not all of them that are remaining. And then, uh, and then basically rebooting the, the, into a new, tr- trilogy or whatever kind of what they started with the halloween movies like the newest ones that they've got um but it's got some really good meta commentary about all that included with the actually decent movie i mean they actually did a pretty good job with it i haven't heard i haven't heard one not saying that they don't exist but i haven't heard one bad critique of the movie yet like i for the most part it seems like people enjoyed themselves it is really fun. It's really, I mean, well thought out movie. The only problem that I've heard anybody complain about whatsoever is that is who the reveal of the killers are in the movie. Of course, it's it, there's more than one killer. It's a scream movie. Of course, yeah. But it's funny because it's almost like the reveal of the killers uh, being what it is. It, it's almost like a meta commentary itself. It's it's kind of like well, you know. Uh, I'm not going to give any more away, but there's a commentary that goes along with it, in my opinion, and that, that kind of makes it better. I mean, yes, it, it was a little, I don't know, anticlimactic because you're like, who, who is it? And then, but then you're like, okay, well, they were trying to make a point. It's like you're overthinking this. Yeah. You know, um, but really good. I mean, I, I think it's, better than i mean it, if i was to rank it I, I rewatched two last night i honestly think that at past the first movie it's it's my favorite one i mean i like two and it's probably like a notch below this one but it's definitely better than three and definitely better than four in my opinion i didn't i thought those sequels you know they they were just there and i didn't really like them as much i imagine we're uh, gonna do scream during human horror Yes, and that or the if we do a slasher series because oh, it kind yeah, of fits slasher. both. Yeah, slasher is probably going to have to be a separate entity, and I think it belongs under slasher entity. But um, we 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 do have to have a palate cleanser with scary movie. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely be in that uh, that ranking of those movies. Um, speaking of slashers, uh, another requel was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. <laughs> I, I watched that the other day. It's if, if I could give it a point five, I honestly would. I'm, I'm going to give it a one. We can give it whatever we want. Well, it's it's point five in my mind. I don't even know if I'd give it that. It's honestly. like half a I corpse. Mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it's. It's really, really bad. I mean, I've heard people defending it. They're like, well, what do you expect, stupid? It's, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What are they supposed to have an actual plot? But I'm like, 
you need to have something. I mean, like uh, it's like I explained the other day on, on Facebook, the first movie operates really well. And I'm not a big fan of most of the movies in that, that series to begin with. So I'm going to throw that out there. Um, but two was fun. I mean, it had like the over the top characters, but one is the movie that you always think of because it's, it's got such a gritty style and it's so it's, it's done in such a low, uh, budget way that it almost feels like a documentary more than an actual film. Like when you're watching it, you're like, Oh shit, this actually looks like it could have taken place somewhere. And when you make a glossy version, you know, high, you know, dollar, um, Hollywood production of these type films, you need to have some decent plot to go along with it. I mean, and to make it, and the characters not to be completely brain dead, stupid. Like I was telling you, there's that old, uh, that commercial that Geico brings out every Halloween where it shows like the kids <laughs> that are running around on some farm and they're like, Oh, let's get out of the car and run in this creepy shed with all the tools and yeah. the guy's standing behind them. And he's just like looking at the camera, like what the fuck, you know, you these people are idiots. 100% we're not lying. <laughs> I have not watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. However, I told the hubs, he did not believe me when I said, Hey, everybody's giving this really bad reviews. Like I haven't heard one good review yet. And he's like, no, which is the same thing. I'm like, no, there's no way. Like, I don't believe you. I'm going to watch it for myself now. I'm not even, I'm going to watch it because I have to see this for myself. But I listened while he was, I was doing my makeup while he's watching this. And the acting sounds terrible. If you can envision in your head what's going on and you're hearing what they're saying, I'm like, there's no fucking way. I didn't believe he was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like... (laughs) I, I I kept trying to put it out of my head. I'm like, this this is, I know this is exactly what Reverend said it was like, but there's no way it's this bad. It was fucking bad. It was like, hey, there's danger over here. Can we not go over there? No, we're going to go over there. Please, I'm trying to escape. Can we please yes. just leave? No, I'm going to go check it out. I don't really believe it. It's bad. I'm dying. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? What the fuck? Every character in the movie and that's and that's a spoiler alert because they do bring back the the final girl from the very first movie sally hardesty every character is stupid in this movie like (laughs) if you can't that's what kills me like they couldn't even make the final girl that's returning like you know she's not a jamie lee curtis who's like you know prepped to the nines ready to Mm -hmm. you know take out like the serial killer no she is dumb as fuck in this movie and like it makes it even worse it was yeah it's bad um when you get to the bus scene, it's the epitome of, I mean, the only good thing I could say about it is the gore effects. Yes. And it's by that, uh, uh, Fede Alvarez or whatever, the guy who did the remake of the, the evil dead movies. Oh, nice. Uh, and, and there's really good gore and a really good plot in the actual evil dead remake. But this one, I mean, he, he got the gore right, but he didn't get anything else. But that bus scene is the epitome of both things. Like the characters are so fucking stupid. And I mean, I'm just going to have to give you a spoiler alert on why it's like, if you were trapped on a bus with somebody with a chainsaw, would you keep pressing yourself into a mass of people toward the back of a bus where there is no opening to get out? Or would you attempt, even if it's risking your life to at least try to, while he's sawing somebody else, <laughs> duck underneath his arm or something yeah, and go the out the front out. of the bus. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but like, you know, there is, I mean, even if you factor in, flight or, or fight or flight i mean there's going to be like some of your brain it's like go that's the one way out you know no and, that did uh, not happen in this film it did not exist it was a completely different realm uh common sense <laughs> look which okay look at slashers yes we understand common sense fucking 
goes to the wind, okay? Like, we get it, but, like, some people at some point in the movie get it. And at no point that I was listening to this while I was doing my makeup and cringing very badly um, did I think that they were going to get it at any point. So I need to no. watch it. I, I do, I need to see this monstrosity for myself. Uh, it's sad, It's sad, but, I mean, I do believe people need to see just how bad a movie can be. If, enough, if for nothing else, they can go back and say, okay, Halloween Kills, which we shit upon, <laughs> is actually a decent movie. Um, You know, I, I think the problem is that Netflix really bumped up and, and hyped everyone up on this. And with Universal Studios, I didn't realize half of the shit Universal put out was stuff that's on Netflix. And so, and I didn't, at the time, I don't remember that we had talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming to Netflix. We probably did. You know how I forget things. We mentioned it on the very last uh, Death Holler News, I believe. Okay. So it wasn't before I went to Universal though, was it? No. no, Okay. Yeah. So. I wasn't thinking about that at Universal, but then now I'm thinking, oh, fuck, they had, okay, are they going to do, we know an Exorcist is coming out, but it's not a Netflix series. No, it's it's supposed to be like Halloween. It's like another, okay. it's in theaters. So, okay, so good. So I'm like, okay, is Netflix, are they going to fuck it up? <laughs> like, what's going on? Although, A Haunting of Hill House was amazing. So obviously it's not Netflix, it's just... It's not Netflix. It's they they just screwed up. I mean, I don't know what combination didn't work for them, but they screwed up. What kind of Kathleen Kennedy CEO bullshit is (laughs) fucking authorizing this shit? Quit ruining our horror. "Hmm." We're already getting Star Wars ripped from us. Yeah, let's uh, let's just sit back and uh, ruin another franchise, which I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's not a franchise that I've ever been overly fond of anyways. But, I mean, I, I could say the same thing about Halloween, and they're doing Halloween right, and that's universal, you know, so I don't know. You think uh, Netflix would uh, have powers fuck up the Hills Have Eyes series? I was kidding. <laughs> it's right there with Texas Chainsaw. Come on. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that I don't know the Hills Have Eyes was ever that great to begin with, and it's got one of my least favorite things in movies in general, and that's simulated rape scenes. Those things, I, I, I'm out. I heard nope. about it. I didn't see it. Um, do you think, uh, are you discussing any other films? One more thing, and it's it, I would keep it short. Um, something I did love to end it on a good note, If you and this is kind of horror-related, and I'll get to why, is The Legend of Vox Machina on... Um, Amazon Prime. Have you seen this yet? No, I've heard about it though. It is an animated series uh, based on base its critical role, which is kind of a D and D like podcast series or something like that. Oh, nice. But the reason, I mean, it, it, it's done in anime style. So if you like anime, it's that's what you're getting. But the characters all talk like they would like in real like nowadays time. It's none of that thou the and oh, if there okay. isn't characters like the main characters make fun of them. I mean, I think the gnome bard who is basically a man whore, uh, mm-hmm. basically said in one of the, the last episodes I watched, I wish a motherfucker would. So I mean that's the kind of speak they use uh, or speech. But the reason I, I throw it in here is because, like, the it, first three episodes, they're dealing with the dragon, and then after that, they go and they delve into one character's backstory, and that character happens to wear, like, a, a Plague Doctor death mask, uh, like, when he's, like, he's kind of like an artificer-type 
pistolier mm-hmm. and he's going on a revenge mission against a couple of like uh, vampire or at least one vampire who has turned to like his family's former kingdom into like this undead like you know uh, hellhole and that's basically like all the the episodes from then on are are basically like they're fighting zombies or you know or yeah even giants like zombie giants i it mean looks like really it's, it's cool. got a lot of undead so Holy shit, um, their cast of people voice doing the characters, voicing the characters, um, all the women are hot. Yeah, and <laughs> the one who does the voice for, like, the Elven Ranger lady, she's got a really good voice, too, I mean, in that way. Um, got that, like, I don't know, just that that sultry British accent to go oh, along with. Oh, okay. So, um, but, yeah, they, they do a really good job, and it's funny as hell. So, I mean, I, I, I've been enjoying it. I think it's got, like, 12 episodes, and I've watched all of them. I'm, I can't wait till they make more of them. Oh, my God. But with that, there's someone at the door. All right, let's let them in. Hello and welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Sleep. I mean, Death. <laughs> and joining me as always is the restless spirit that refuses to be locked inside any mind coffin, my co-host, La Urena. How's it going, Urena? I will cut myself out. I will tell you what. <laughs> you put me in. Not only that, you let me out of that thing like they did in this movie. Spoiler alert. Holy shit. The first person I'm going after is you, motherfucker. <laughs> you're not going to go after uh well we'll get to it in a second um today we are fighting uh psychic vampires and returning to a dilapidated overlook hotel and no not those psychic vampires that you spend all day with at the office <laughs> uh, energy vampires fucking <laughs> like colin uh, yeah um this is the true nod a nomadic tribe of evil creatures that feed upon us with the shine yes today we are discussing the 2019 sequel to the shining dr sleep um, but before we go up against Crow Daddy, Rose the Hat, or Snakebite Andy, uh, some podcast business. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. We appreciate everyone who listens, and we hope you enjoy the show. Before we get to the, the great Shinnin uh, sequel, Attack of the Bees. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast. Not the beast. Ah! I'm my eyes. <laughs> I love that. It's a good um, one. It's so good. Anyways, uh, the movie that I, would, I, I paired up with this one today is uh, the 2011 movie, The Innkeepers, uh, directed by Ty West, who, if you remember, uh, is the director of House of the Devil. Um he, the principal players on this one is Pat Healy, who plays Luke, an early disen, uh, early thirties disenfranchised front desk worker, and a part-time web designer slash paranormal researcher. Um, Pat has been in movies such as Starry Eyes, which is really good independent horror movie, Tales of Halloween, which has also got some good parts. 
uh, Velvet Buzz, Buzzsaw, The Peldor, Run, and We Need to Do Something, which I've heard oh. is pretty good, but I'm not seeing that one. We Need to Do Something is hella good. I told you to watch that. Okay, I need to get around to watching it. Like yeah, a mind just... fuck of a movie. <laughs> Um, but he was in that, and uh, the other, and we also have Sarah Paxton playing Claire. She's a listless twenty-something that has yet to figure out a direction for her life and is working part time at, lo- at the local inn along with Luke. And she was in Return to Halloween Town, Last House on the Left, the twenty or two thousand nine version, uh, Shark Night three D, and Static. And we have Kelly McGillis who plays Leanne Reese-Jones, an actress and psychic slash medium. And she was in Witness, and she was also the love interest in Top Gun, if you remember that movie. Yes. Um, As soon as you said the name, I'm like, oh, this bitch, it's been a minute. Yeah, and uh, the years were not kind to Kelly McGinnis. Oh, come on. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I know the time takes us all, but, I mean, it's just like you watch Top Gun, you're like, oh, my God, she is so good looking. And then you watch this, and you're like, oh. She's 80s hot. You know what? The problem is is that she aged naturally and she didn't give in to That's true. The beauty standards of Hollywood, which is hard, you know. But um that's also why she's not in the 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 sequel to Top Gun. (laughs) That is probably the case. Um she did not do whatever pact of the devil that keeps Tom Cruise from uh aging the same way that most mortal people do. Adrenochrome. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that, that's that's assumed. That's a different podcast <laughs> on a different network. It, it sure is. Um, she was also in The Accused and in Stakeland, which Stakeland's actually a pretty fun uh, vampire independent film. Um, it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic world, as if the vampires basically took over America, and like these uh, two people are trying to make their way across. Um, and it's it's pretty good, but. Anyways, this movie, the reason I paired it up with this one is that Luke and Claire are the only staff remaining at the Yankee Peddler Inn, a large and historic hotel in Connecticut that is set to close down. Um, They have to manage what's left of the hotel, the second and first floors, over the course of a weekend before it closes its doors for good. Um, Bored and with nothing else to do, they engage in some paranormal research, mainly (sighs) EVP work, um, because Luke somehow his camera's not working or something. But anyways, uh, they, they're conducting research because it's the hotel supposedly, supposedly haunted in particular by one, uh, female ghost that was supposed to have killed or been killed there or hung herself. Um, Claire starts experiencing paranormal activity and seeing the spirits of the dead that inhabit the halls and things quickly devolved in, into tragedy. Um, the, Interesting thing about this movie, it's a very, very slow burn. You thought Ugh. the House of the Devil was slow. This thing is like it literally only picks up in like the last 10 minutes. Like that's how slow this movie is. Yeah, like, at least period. at least House of the Devil was the last 25 minutes. I timed yeah. that shit. So yeah. I know. Yeah, this one, I mean, it's it's got some creep to it. I mean, along the way, it's like you're you're kind of wondering what's going on. But the interesting thing about it is it's more social commentary about like uh, post 2008, you know, crash of the housing market and like, you know, the economic depression, because it basically shows like millennials 
you know, kind of drifting listlessly through, you know, this world where there, there's no like job prospects, like their, their futures are uncertain. Like both the main characters, Luke and uh, Claire, they don't really like Claire really has no idea what she's going to do with her life. And Luke's kind of, I mean, he graduated college, but like he's working at this end. He, he can't find a job anywhere else, which is kind of the way it was for a lot of people at that time. I mean, he probably and, had a liberal arts degree if we're being honest. Well, probably. Yeah, that's, and it's funny because he's went, the funniest thing to me was his paranormal website that he's working on <laughs> while he's, he's doing that. It looks like the ghost facers website. Oh, like if you remember. Yeah. It's, it's like geo cities, like that old, old look. Like, I mean, whenever you like the, whenever it loads up any pictures there, I mean, it loads them up extremely slow. Yeah. It, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, the, and it's also funny because it's like, just like The Shining was, the horrors in the movie are not are more mental than the actual or, or could be perceived that way as opposed to real haunting because, I mean, spoiler alert for anybody if they want to skip ahead about the ending, but what happens to Claire is she dies at the end of the movie and it's because they find her, she's asthmatic and they find her inhaler has like been dropped like because she's been so freaked out by these quote unquote ghosts. And she hears what she thinks is a ghost like banging upon one of the doors and like, you know, rushes further into the basement because of it while she's having an asthma attack because of her fear. And it turns out that the banging she heard was actually Luke trying to save her, but she mm. locked him out and she killed herself basically is what it amounts to. So wonderful. Yeah, I mean, there, she sees the ghost before she dies herself of fright or asthma or whatever, but it, it kind of hints that it was mainly because she, you know, was freaking herself out, and that's kind of what happened. COVID. And that could even be a commentary about the millennials during this time. I mean, the anxiety that, you know, a lot were suffering because they, you know, had graduated college with no prospects. I mean, yeah, you know, it's kind it's of playing into that. Possible. Um, holy shit, is that not woman logic to fucking scare the shit out of themselves and <laughs> drive themselves into deeper trouble <laughs> just be- off of fear? And it's true, and it's funny because that Kelly McGinnis is basically like this actress who Claire idolizes, and like you know, it's the the typical thing. Don't meet your heroes because she finds out Kelly McGinnis is kind of an asshole. But she does a reading for her because she, now she's a quote unquote psychic, and her reading is basically like you need to leave. Something bad is going to happen. So she tells her that before. I mean, and I don't know if that plays into her anxiety and makes it worse, but it 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 plays out just like she says because you know Claire ends up dying in the end. Um, it's, if I was going to give this a Nicolas Cage rating, I, you know, I'm going to call it trapped in paradise. Um, there is some decent scenes between the principal players, but ultimately it's a long drawn out affair. I mean, it, there's, there's certain parts in this that I've, that are fun to watch, but like overall, like when I was watching it again, I was like, man, it, if you've seen it once, like all the creep factor just kind of plays out of the movie and you're kind of stuck with just a long drawn out movie it's not like house of the devil where it kind of builds you know upon itself to the point where it has that good ending i I don't feel like it's as good as that movie yeah at least i was asking questions in house of the devil you know like what was that what is she hearing what's around the corner um the ghost looks pretty creepy in the in the in the pictures i've seen yeah, Mallory something, I think's her name. I, I, I can't remember exactly the, the ghost name, but it's it's kind of one of those um, top films. I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting. It kind of follows the shining formula, puts, you know, some uh, few uh, people in this, like, you know, overall hotel that's basically closed and have them deal with, like, what they think is the supernatural, and then their own mind starts playing into everything. It's kind of a neat, you know, companion piece to that, I guess, but... 
that's, you know, I, I don't know. Overall, I, it's not one that I would go back to often to watch. Much like the, all the movies that I've seen ever. <laughs> no matter how good or bad it was. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get on to the main movie discussion, the one that you were hesitant to watch because for some reason you had, like, weird opinions about this. Yeah, full disclosure. Um, Didn't know shit about this movie. Didn't even know this movie existed, to be honest with you. And I was like, I don't want to fucking watch it. I don't want to watch it. What's wrong with me? Look at everyone. I, I don't need to reiterate that. You know, I am not a movie critic. I'm not a real movie critic, okay? I shouldn't even be critiquing movies by any means. Um, but here I am with the podcast. Okay, so um, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we are discussing the 2019 film Doctor Sleep, uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, uh, the one who directed Haunting of Hill House. Uh, he also directed Gerald's Game. That was one of his first movies that he did, another Stephen King-based uh, uh, movie. And also the excellent, excellent Mid Midnight Mass, which is basically a Stephen King, you know, miniseries without being based on anything Stephen King. Um, and funny thing is, he, he does have a couple of new movies coming out or new series on Netflix. One of them's called The Midnight Club, which is kind of more like child-based. But then he's also got The Fall of the House of Usher, which, you know, was obviously based upon, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. He's going to have like a series based on that, of course, starring his lovely wife, Katie Skull. So we're going to... Of course. We're, we're going to have that coming up here soon. But um, unlike some other uh, directors who cast their, their wives in every movie, <coughs> zombie, <clears throat> we have, I mean, I feel like Katie can actually act. I mean, so... Yeah. I mean, and there's no doubt that Sherry Moon Zombie is gorgeous, especially for her age, um, which is rude to say, but whatever. I, I said it. Um, Katie Seagal is fucking hot. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I think that he leaned into that heavily during The Haunting of Hill House whenever he made her character like basically the, the, the lesbian, like wild, you know, character that she was. So, I mean, I, I don't know if he was living, you know, vicariously through that, but um, I'm sure that that played into it. Yeah. Um, the score for this movie was done by the Newton brothers, uh, but it did have throwbacks to The Shining. 100%. Uh, in particular, the very first uh, sounds you hear, that bum, bum, mm. bum, like that deep music or whatever that was in the original film. And they also bring back, I think, in the end credits, that whole scene from, uh, or that music from the, the ballroom in The Shining. Um, principal players for this movie is uh, Ewan McGregor, who plays Danny Torrance. Uh, he's the adult Dan, who uh, is a recovering alcoholic following uh, his childhood trauma. Uh, of course, Ewan McGregor is one of the most famous actors of his generation. Never heard uh, of him. Train spotting. Yeah, of course. Uh, train spotting. Uh, he is friggin' Obi Wan Kenobi. I mean, or at least the young version, uh, which they're getting ready to come out with that Disney Plus series, and I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, he was in uh, Big Fish, which that that is a great, great uh, Tim Burton film, and it's also hard as hell to watch, especially if you've lost a father or oh. was connect, you know, or anything like that, that mo even, I mean, I, this movie got to me even long before my own father passed. So I don't, I don't even know if I'd want to watch it now to be perfectly honest with you, but it, it's, it's a good movie for what it is. Um, Christopher Robin, he was in that newest movie of, uh, from Disney that was based upon that and did a really good job. Uh, he played the bad guy in birds of prey. 
Uh, and he was Lumiere. He was the voice of Lumiere in the Beauty and the Beast uh, live action movie. Oh, that was shit. I thought that was interesting. And and he's going to play the the role of the the cricket. Uh, they don't say Jiminy Cricket. They just say cricket in the new Pinocchio movie that's coming out this year. Okay, which I wait. didn't know there was one. Who was this? But what's that? Who was this playing this? You and McGregor's. Okay, be we're still talking about. Jim- I was like, did I miss something? Are we talking about a different actor? Okay. No. Holy shit. So he, yeah, so he's did the voice for uh he's he's big in the Disney. Like they 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 they're hiring him left and right and good on him, I guess, you know, he's getting those paychecks. I thought for uh, some reason he had done a Clone Wars too, but I guess he did not or not Clone Wars. Well, maybe Clone Wars, but I guess, I guess not. I really thought he was in there for some reason. I didn't see that listed and I could have swore that they got somebody to mimic his voice in that series. And that would make wrong. sense cuz you know, he did kind of disappear for a minute, so yeah, and then he came back nice and everything. Um, we have Rebecca Ferguson, who is playing Rose the Hat. Uh, she is the antagonist and the leader of the True Knot. Uh, she's been in several films, uh, Drowning Ghost, Reminiscence, uh, with Cliff Curtis, who is another guy that was in this movie. Um, Mission Impossible films, she was in several of those. Um, I think she played uh, maybe Tom Cruise's love interest in those. Speaking of another Shocker. Tom Cruise love interest. Uh. um and it's kind of creepy when you think about how old he is versus how young she is but we'll we'll not delve into that yeah um uh she was in uh, 2014 hercules uh movie that had uh, the rock i believe and uh, the greatest showman she was in that which is really good movie i I like that one and she's in the dune movies the the new series that's out um and according to my mother who wanted me to state this she has really nice knockers (laughs) thanks karen for your addition to the podcast she i mean she is a pretty woman i mean she's very pretty yeah yeah, not to distract. I mean, even when she's playing a horrible character like Rose the Hat, you're like, man, eh, she, she is good looking. She so, does a lot of meditating I mean, and she does a lot of chest out. So, you know, <laughs> Karen was definitely not going to miss that. I am my mother's daughter. <laughs> uh, we have Kylie uh, Curran, who's playing Abra Stone. Loved her name uh, in this. Uh, I didn't get it at first, um, but I like how they, the play on the on the name. Yeah, the abracadabra, yes. abracadabra. Um, we, she plays the. She actually is probably the protagonist more than Dan is in this movie. Um, yeah, and she potentially has a stronger shine than him. Oh um, yeah. Um. Although we'll get into the reason he could have had one that was as strong or stronger than hers, but uh, you know the drugs and the alcohol kind of you know did their work on that and the age allegedly. Well, there's that part of it too, yeah. um, and can, but we'll get into that in a little bit later. Uh, she was only in like one other thing besides, or a couple of different things, like The Secrets of Sulphur Springs was the only thing I really saw. Like there was maybe another TV series or something she was in, but this is one of her first times, and for a kid actor, she's really good. Yeah, she she was she was amazing. Um, we have Zon McLaren who plays Crow Daddy and um, who's the lieutenant lieutenant and right hand man to Rose. This guy's been in everything. If you need somebody who's a Native American or or who you know looks like one, uh, if nothing else, you call Zon McLaren because he was in Longmire. He played a great character in that. He was like the 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 kind of the shady uh, sheriff that was worked on the reservation. 
uh, he uh, was in Hawkeye, the new Disney, the yep. recent Disney Plus series. Uh, he was in Reservation Dogs. Uh, I think that might be currently ongoing. He was in Westworld, of course. He played one of the Native Americans in that. And Bone, to- and Bone Tomahawk, which is a really good uh, horror western that has uh, Kurt Russell. I, I highly that, recommend yep. that movie. And uh, The Forever Purge, which yes. we've talked about. Um he was the, I believe, the one that was helping them cross at the end of the movie. Yes. Helping the Mexicans get back to, <laughs> back to safety, a.k.a. Mexico. Yeah. Um, we won't get into that again about the political <laughs> connotations. But uh, we've already mentioned him, but Cliff Curtis, he plays Billy Freeman. Um, he's the best friend of Danny and, and, and also an employer and an AA sponsor. Um, he is, uh, and I don't, you can, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. He's a Maori, Maori, like however you say, he's a, a poly, you know, Pacific Islander, uh, ancestry, kind of like the, the rock is. Um, and, um, he's been in a lot of different things, uh, training day, fear of the walking dead. Oh yeah. Uh, when, That's what I recognize him from fear of the walking dead. Um, he was in uh, Live Free or Die Hard, Reminiscence, like we said, Sun or Sunshine, the Avatar sequels. He's going to be in those, which they still haven't came out yet, and I don't know if anybody's going to care when they do. Um, bringing Out the Dead with Nick Cage. I had to throw that in there. If, if, Nick, if anybody's in a movie with Nick Cage, it's going to get thrown in. Oh, this. yeah, it's going to happen. And uh, Hobbs and Shaw, of course, with The Rock, because he plays like The Rock's brother in that movie, oh, uh, which is really good. <clears throat> Uh, we have Alex uh, Esso, who's playing uh, Wendy Torrance, who did an amazing job as, as like, yes. Wendy. Like, uh, they couldn't have got anything better. Um, and you have Henry Thomas, who is a, a alumni of, of Mike Flanagan's, who is playing J- Jack Torrance in this. Um, he's also the kid or the guy who was Elliot in the original A.T. movie, if you don't recognize who I'm talking about. Uh, we have Carl Lumbly, who's playing Dick Halloran, who does a very good job, I think, kind of Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, the voice, everything. He, he, he passed off enough to where he, played, he paid homage to Scatman Crothers. That's all I'm going to say. 100%. About I mean, he did an amazing <laughs> job. I was like, wow, this is not that guy, but I believe that this is this guy. Yeah, I mean, and and just like the the one the lady who played or Alex who played Wendy, like they really you believed it was a continuation of those characters, even if they wouldn't go in like I mean for everything perfectly with them. Um, you have Danny Lloyd, who's actually the original Danny in the original Shining, who is in this movie. He he was the dad of the missing baseball uh, boy. Uh, uh, it's not Jacob. Jacob Tremblay's name, Tremblay's name of the actor, but it's uh, something a Shep thing, but we'll get into that later. But anyways, he plays the dad talking about how his son just knows how perfectly to hit every ball and all this yeah, other stuff. Yeah, which totally fucking, way to go, dude. Way to give out information. Yeah, well, they already knew. I mean, they. Yeah. we'll get into that, but they, they were stalking that poor kid. Um, which, uh, uh, hold cool on, they, special shout out to that kid. He fucking sold his part. Oh, yeah, the fear, like, you really felt. Yeah, I mean, the crying like and everything. My mom was, like, on the verge of tears. She's like, I can't watch this. This is fucking, I can't. 
Yeah, yeah. Jacob Tremblay did a really good job with that. Like he, I mean, he really sold that. I mean, another good kid actor they had in the movie. Um, you have, um, and I just think it's cool that they included, you know, Danny in this. I mean, like they didn't have to, but Mike was like, "Hey, do you want to come back?" You and he's literally done nothing since the Shining. Yeah, and he's like, you know, and, and brings sure. him back, and it's like, you know, and it, it works. Um, you have Robert Longstreet who's playing Barry the Chunk, and I bring him up because he's another alumni of Flanagan's. He was the caretaker in the Haunting of Hill House. He was one of the two that that lost their daughter in the house and kept coming back and didn't want him to destroy it so he could, you know, keep visiting his daughter. Yeah. But uh, he he was also a pivotal character in Midnight Mass. Like he plays one of the best characters in that. He's kind of like the town drunk um in that one and like has a tragic backstory and like it just it, it's a good character like they really do good with it yeah um we have violet mcgraw who plays violet uh, at the beginning of the movie uh, and uh she was also in the honey hill house she played the young nail in that one. Oh my god um <laughs> Uh, we have Carl uh, Struken who plays Grandpa Flick, and I have to throw this out there because he was Lurch in the Adams Family. Yes, movies. I mean, it, it, like you, you, like you couldn't tell. <laughs> he's got, he's just got a weird look to him, but that, that's perfect for you know this aging, you know, vampire or whatever. Like he, he just looks super. Oh natural, yeah, we'll like. Get- they didn't even need to do much to him. Like makeup, no, actually take off any makeup and just let yeah. him go au natural. Yeah, just He's let him look got normal. This. What we'll get into the reason why some people who are sticklers for the book might not like that, but I mean, it, it, I think it works for the movie because they didn't go the route they did in the book. Um, we have Jocelyn Donahue, uh, speaking of House of the Devil, who's <sighs> playing Aubrey's mother. <laughs> Did you recognize her now that I say that? I did, did rec- you recognize that I was- recognized her when I saw her in the film, but I didn't think of House of the Dead. I just was like, I know I've seen her before. And yeah, I-, I need you to answer a question because no one agreed with me. Was she the stepmom or was she? is she the biological mom? She is the biological mother. Okay, the reason um, why I ask is because when Abra walks into the Overlook, spoiler alert, at some point in this film, uh, she mentions that uh, she goes, this house is sick like my mom with cancer. At least I thought I heard that. So I could have, I could be making this her, up. Her, her grandmother is okay. the one sick with cancer. And I'll get into the why that's the difference from the book too. It's, it's, it's interesting how that plays out in the book, but I mean, they, they kind of didn't go there out with the movie. They just kind of hinted that uh, Jocelyn's character is really distraught over her mother, you know, being riddled with cancer. And that's, she has that one scene with her later on. She's like, how's, how's grandma? Like she's acknowledging that Abra can sense, you know, how her mother's doing, you know, just by her abilities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it's, it's her grandma. Who's the one that's passing away. And the one that actually had the shine like she does, or at least in the books, we'll yes. get into all that, but they don't say anything in the movie about it. And, uh, I mean, there's a ton of people in this movie, but the one I'm going to, the last one I'm going to focus on just cause she was good at what she did was, uh, uh Emily, uh, Alan Lind who played Snakebite Andy and she was in the babysitter and it's sequel. Um, if you've seen those on Netflix, they're really good movies. I have not, but I, she was very good in this movie. She plays a similar character. I don't know if she's being typecast like she, it's kind of sad. I mean, in the babysitter movies, like she, she plays like the, in the first one, she plays like the sweet girlfriend to the main character who's just went through total hell because his, uh, 
his babysitter is actually, um, and I can't remember her name. It's it's Elrond's, you know, the guy who plays Elrond, like in the Lord of the Rings movie. It's his actual daughter in real life, mm-hmm. the one that was in Ready or Not. Yeah. And she is she's actually the villain in the first movie and then like this character plays like the the sweet you know girl that's like the same age as the main character who you know like kind of helps him like you know uh, she might even help like save him toward the end of the movie but anyways like but it, in the second movie it turns out that she was using him and you know it, it goes on from there and it's it's a bad twist for him but like you know she plays basically snakebite andy in the in the sequel to the babysitter uh, in a roundabout way. Oh my god! Which she looked okay. So I know she oh, she's really young. I didn't realize how she, young she, she was. is. Yeah, she's only nineteen now. Yeah, she was fifteen. I, well, no, she she was supposed the character's supposed to be fifteen, and she was close to that age. In yeah, her life. which is weird because in the film, I know she was playing a young character. I didn't realize she was actually as young because I'm like that's where she looks like a woman that's trying to play a young girl, which. I know that kind of plays in perfectly to what her character was doing. What Snakebite was doing, yeah. Yeah, but it was weird. It was like, it just, I don't know. I, I thought she was older. So, but not in a sensual kind of way. I really just, she had an older face kind of thing, even though she had a young face. I, it's hard to explain. Like, I don't know where I'm going with this, okay? <laughs> I understand what you're saying perfectly. Like, she fit the role of somebody who used her almost grown-up looks to lure men into, yes. you know, like, doing like basically being playing into their own pedophilic you know, yeah. things or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and it, and really disturbing when you realize how she was actually probably underage. Yes. When she made yes. This. <laughs> Which, okay. Um, so a quick synopsis of the movie and we'll, we'll go through different. I mean, I, I mean, however you, you know, detailed you want to make it, but like the, the quick synopsis is it's uh, set in the aftermath, uh, for Danny and Wendy following the, uh, their time at the overlook. Um, it centers upon an even older threat to people with the shine in the form of the true knot and other, which are a group of psychic vampires that feed upon the steam quote unquote of those or the life force of those with psychic powers. Um, we also get to see an adult Danny trying to cope with his childhood traumas and his attempt at sobriety following years of alcoholism. That's like the gist of the movie. Like yeah. that's the, the core of what it is. Um, but I mean, we'll just break into the movie and like, we, you know, we can kind of, I mean, we don't have to go into everything in detail. I got a title on here, you know, to, you know, if you, if there's anything that you want to go in particular, but so starting out, we have the scene where we have like, and it doesn't give us a time frame for this, but it's assumed that it's before, or it's at least in the seventies following Danny's time or, or early eighties following Danny's time at the overlook, because we have Violet who walked, who happens upon Rose, the hat sitting next to a, a pond or a lake or something of that sort. Uh, in, in the set of woods, like she kind of wanders away from her parents and it's in a scene that almost plays out like the original Frankenstein movie, whenever he meets the little girl by the water and like, you know, tosses her in or somebody even pointed out in like uh, a YouTube video I was watching, uh, maybe like yet the clown when he first meets George and offers him his boat. Oh bag, my God. You know, like that's a perfect. Sewer. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, you know, this poor little child is like walking apart or doesn't realize it's, it's almost like the, the red riding hood thing. It's like, you know, she doesn't realize that she's met the wolf, you know, like she's walking up to the, this predator and 
I think it's interesting that the the little discussion that Rose ha- the Hat has with her, because uh, she uses this metaphor about like you know she's eating this flower, these flowers or whatever, and like you know Violet asks her, it's like why are you eating those? And she's like you know she basically says something like they're, you know they're they're beautiful and you know like she she's basically she's actually eating like a violet herself before you know yeah. like they feast upon her. Actually um, eating violet. Yeah, and. It's really, it's kind of creepy the way that the uh, Flanagan like sets it up. It's almost got like a, uh, a an odd to another Stephen King movie like Salem's Lot, like yeah. the way that all the vampires of the True Knot appear in the woods behind them while she's like talking to Rose, but like before she can break away, like you know they they keep coming like closer and closer, but like it never shows them moving. Yeah, they just appear closer, you know. Um, I don't know what. How do you feel about this scene? Like to start out the movie, it just kind of gives you. I mean, I it, I think it's like a good intro to what they're kind of getting into with it. Yeah, it was a nice, good setup. I was um, honestly real confused because I'm like, what does this have to do with The Shining? <laughs> and and yeah, okay, well, we're gonna leave it at that because I don't want to spoiler alert my my feelings about the whole film. So, okay, well, um. after we we have this short little scene setting up the true knot, then we we get the part you're talking about. Because this is right after they've had, like, the I mean, the the start of the movie plays the music from The Shining as, as, you know, Jack and and Wendy and and Danny were driving up to the Overlook. You hear that that, that iconic, you know, dun-dun, you know, that deep music. And then it goes into this scene, you're like, you know, I'm I'm with you. It's like, okay, you played that music. We're expecting The Shining. And then after that scene, then we get to Shining. It shows a, you know, a another version of Danny, not not the original actor, not Danny Lloyd, but another actor, uh, you know, stepping into the role. They're kind of re-filming it, as it were, <clears throat> which um, a little bit of trivia about that. They actually, for that carpet pattern, they actually, uh, I think, went to Steven Spielberg who had just got through filming his version of the shining scenes from uh, in Ready Player One, and they oh, took that, that they took that carpet setup that he had already used, and they used it in this movie. That's and now, fucking awesome. <laughs> and now that carpet is actually in the WB's uh, executive like uh, offices. I think now, oh, like they've God. made it like part of their office now. Oh, I mean, that's pretty badass, actually. I would have that. <laughs> Um, I was trying to, I was looking at it too, and I was comparing to uh, our Instagram where I had put up the the Shining um, mm-hmm. poster, and I'm like, I don't, it's, <laughs> the poster is awesome, but I'm like, how do you tell what's, which way it's facing? Like, I was trying to see a difference in how it's facing. You were trying to see the Kubrick effect to yes. see who was the crazy person whenever it was turned around backwards? Yes. <laughs> That's the one thing that people give this movie shit just to get into that part of the discussion is because like Flanagan doesn't play into any of the, you know, the the stuff we talked about in the last podcast, you know, as far as the, the theories oh, or yeah. any of that stuff. Which quite frankly, it's, I'm kind of glad that he didn't. He, I'm glad, well, I'm really glad he didn't because of the theory about oh, yeah. the, the, the bear and everything <laughs> else. But I mean, going back to Noah's concerns, this movie plays off like, yeah, everything happened in it. The ghosts were real. And uh, none of that subtext was there that we talked about, and just roll with it, you know, just go. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but you, you basically see that, you know, and it's a dream. I mean, you, it goes to like a, uh, a version of Danny that's already in Florida at this point, but like he's dreaming, he's back at the overlook and he happens upon room 237 and we see that he's still seeing Miss Massey and oh, not yeah. only just in his dream, she's actually followed him to Florida. Like she's in the bathroom, like there where they're at now. Um, I think it's interesting also in this scene or like this first little section where Wendy mentions that Danny hasn't spoken since the overlook. Um, and that kind of, I mean, really hints at like the traumatic experience that like they're, they're growing into for him as a, as a person, the fact that he is not like spoken at all to anybody since, you know, they escaped. Yeah. Um, you have Alex S O playing Wendy and I've heard that they take, they took like a little bit of the, the, of, of uh, Shelly Duvall's like voice. And like you know, put it in this movie, but the rest of that was all this actress. Like okay. she really like she watched the good. movie. She did the mannerisms and all that herself. Yeah, almost. It was good. It was almost too exaggerated to me, but it worked. Like yeah, she really I mean, was like, "Nope, I am Shelley Duvall. I want you to believe that I am." It's like, okay, we believe you. Like we got it. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, well, the, the part that they said was kind of like, uh, modulated in was that scene where after he's been sitting on the bench, which we've not got to yet, but he's talking to Dick Halloran and, uh, you know, and then you hear like her doing the tip that, that's, you know, that iconic, you know, Danny, yeah, that was them playing like maybe some audio from, you know, Shelley Duvall, like from the original movie. And then like, you know, the rest of it was kind of Alex, you know, playing the part. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Um, it, it makes sense that they would play, have played it. Cause I was like, wow, she's trying really hard, you know, to sound like Shelley Duvall. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> but I, I got to give them credit. I mean, they could have went the route of like trying to do some kind of horrible, like star Wars esque, um, you know, like, uh, which I mean, you know, deep fake type thing, which at, in 2019 still wasn't the greatest. Um, I don't even know if you'd say it's still great now. I mean, the loot that we got in the Mandalorian was a little bit uncanny Valley. I mean, it's the point of being creepy to a certain extent. Yeah, um, but they did a good job. They, they did. Uh, I will say this though, and I know Disney is never going to listen to this, but if you are, Please cast Sebastian Stan yes. as, as Luke Skywalker and just and let him be. Like of he, all he, the he, fan stuff that they, <laughs> they listen to and, you know, all the shit they fuck up because of what the fans want, it, like, can we fuck that up? Can we do it? <laughs> Make this happen? <laughs> because I've seen people, like, you know, do, like, a side-by-side, and he could play a young Mark Hamill easily if they would just let him do his thing i mean you know and and stop they wouldn't have to go out i mean they've really done well with the deep fake don't get me wrong but like i think it's if you want the full range if you want to use luke young luke for any particular reason now you need to branch out and stop using the deep fake stuff so you could you you need somebody who can actually act with their face we can only um, we could only pray it's you know whatever <laughs> um but going into another actor who does a very good job imitating the person that came before him, you, you, we have Dick Halloran here. Um, and as we discussed, I mean, the guy, the actor does a great job, you know, imitating like, you know, Dick's character. And I don't, 
I feel dumb for this, but like I did not realize that Dick was dead until like my second or third watching of this movie, just because the way he disappears, I, I must have missed it the first time I was watching it, and I was just like, well, or they must have really drastically went away from like the the fact that he got killed at the Overlook in the original movie, but nope, they didn't. Like he's dead. Like, yeah, and well, he, no, I'm glad you said that because I was like, um, wait a second, I thought he was dead, and then all of a sudden. <laughs> Fucking mom to him, Danny, and then he's gone, and I'm like, oh, he's a fucking ghost, duh. Yeah, he he, he is a ghost. He's he just he happens to be coming back to Danny, just like Mrs. Massey and some of the other, you know, later on the the other ghosts from the hotel. Um, but like, I never got that the first time I watched it. I, I thought he was still alive, and you know that the only time he was actually dead was the time later on, and we'll get to it, which is is kind of a creepy scene at first, where you know, like. Uh, an older Danny walks into this empty, supposedly empty room in the hospice and he sees like a shadow in the corner and he starts to put it in a mind box and it happens to be dead. That but. was awesome. I like that scene <laughs> a lot because we got the scene where Dick was telling him, you're going to have one of these boxes. You're, you're going to make one of these boxes. Just don't put this dick in a box, okay? Um, <laughs> and, and Danny almost put that dick in a box, but... You know, he was like, whoa, 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 wait. Like, he he showed himself, like, it's me, you know. But that was, I really liked how they had the setup of Dick telling him about the boxes. And then we had Danny come into a, okay, there's a spirit there. And then it shows the box opening. That was cool. And then you see the boxes lined up behind it. Oh, yeah. I, that's one of the things, I mean, we might as well just discuss now. I love that image that they've got in this movie of like, I mean, these like, they're, to me, they're coffins, like yeah. for the spirits, but like they're all, they're all in the hedge maze, which is perfect. It goes back to the, the you know, to Kubrick's original, you know, movie and the whole the thing about the hedge maze is, uh, he plays into this a little bit. The theory that the hedge maze is more like a, uh, a representation of like Jack's mind or at least some, or, you know, Wendy's mind, whoever you want to, figure is the tortured one in the movie like mentally but like they you know it's another mental place like now it's danny's mental place that he holds the ghost in i, I love that connection they had to the original movie well it's hard to escape and that, that place has always been for some reason danny and his mom figured it out you know they maybe they because they spent some time in it but that place is supposed to be i get the perception that it's supposed to be hard to escape and you have to be careful because you'll get lost so if the spirits you know, somehow get out of this box. And I know they didn't play that into this movie, but in his mind, he probably thinks, well, it's going to be harder for them to get out because they don't know where they're at. You know, in a roundabout way, the way you described that, it just dawned on me. This is almost like, you know, in folklore, they used to bury like, you know, people that they thought were going to be like return as troublesome spirits. They would bury them at crossroads because that way they wouldn't know their way home. Oh shit. Like that's almost what this is representing. It's like you put them in a place that they would have a, it's hard for, even if they break out, like they're going to have a hard time getting out of that maze. Yeah. You know? Um, but I really like this scene when he when you first see Dick because, like, I mean, there are a couple of things. He admits openly uh, something that people have complained about for years. It's like, you know, Danny talk, you know, basically says to him, it's like, well, you said that it was supposed to be like pictures in a book. And, like, you know, and then Halloran admits to him, he's like, well, for me it was. I didn't realize how strong you were, that you, you know, you gave them more power, and that's why they were able to do what they did. So I like that they acknowledge that in this scene. Yes, and they do a good job playing it out in the film, too. We'll get into that when they're at the hotel. 
Right. Um, and and also he sets up something else because he, he also warns Danny in this scene, there are hungry things out there, Doc, that feed upon people with a shine. And he's not talking about just the overlook. So he hints that there, there's, you know, the, about the true knot and possibly other creatures out there that are, you know, like the true knot, um, which plays into the Dark Tower, but we'll get to that link in, in a little bit. Um and I love this. I love in this scene where he talks about his grandpa came back and he had to put him in a box. And that's how he knew that yeah. how to do this. He talks about how his grandpa over time, and this is just so creepy the way he describes it. Uh, the more he came, uh, paid him visits, the more the, the stink of the grave or stink of death was on him. And kind of like ever, as he was rotting, like more and more like that was coming off of his ghost or whatever. Yeah. Almost has like a reference to pet cemetery that way. I mean, to me, you I'm know, just <laughs> Um, uh, you have, uh, you know, and of oh, course you know right what? After Hold this, on. I want to back up to that real quick where he was talking about his grandpa because it was his grandma that had showed him, had showed Dick how, you know, the, the box trick and, um, right. it's cause yes. that grandma had the cunning. <laughs> We're not going back to Sabrina <laughs> now. Don't, don't, don't do that to us. We, they, they, they ruined that enough. And I, I've watched a little bit of the Riverdale episodes where they brought her back. And oh my God. I have just, not just, seen any of Riverdale. So, yeah, you're Is better it off cringy? not. Uh, it's really, really cringe. Um, they, I don't know. I, that's, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave it at that. They, they did a better job on, on Sabrina the show and they, sh- should have left her there. <laughs> um, so Danny goes back, and the first thing he does, like a badass, he traps Mrs. Massey finally. She was the very first one he traps. Um, and he, he, he doesn't give any fucks. It's just like he sees her. She's beckoning like, you know, it's like, he's like, all right. And he walks in there, and then you hear her scream. So <laughs> she finally gets what's coming to her. Um, we skip ahead in the movie like a bunch of years and we see a drug slash alcohol addicted, uh, Danny, it might've just been alcohol, but I mean, he'd been out partying with somebody who'd done cocaine. So oh, he knows yeah. what he was into. Um, and he's, he's at rock bottom. Like he's in this room with a single mom. He doesn't remember even being with her the night before until like he, re- you know, has a look around. Uh, she's passed out in a puddle of her own vomit. Um, bucket naked. Uh, <laughs> yep he's uh and, and she's not moving either uh which i'll get into something in a second about that um she's um he, he's getting ready to leave he's being a dirt bag he's just going to like leave her the way she is like she doesn't look like she's going to choke on her vomit because she's on her side so he, he should be fine that way going through her so wallet he, too Yep, and he goes through her wallet because uh, he goes to his wallet and realizes that she took his money and, and used it to buy cocaine the night before. And so he needs to get the fuck out of there, so he steals from her, in which case he hears the voice of Dick and, it, you know, Halloran in his mind, and basically, you know, his conscience at that point is like, really, Doc, is this what we're going to do? You know, are you going to really leave, the, leave it this way? Are you going to take steal her money? Um but he doesn't listen to Dick at all. He still goes ahead with the money. And even worse, there's this little kid that comes trum- you know, trembling through the floor. And like he he just picks the kid up, puts it on the bed with a mom, yeah. you know, who may or may not be dead and it just fucks right on out. Like he he does he doesn't do anything for him. <laughs> Which is not a good start to our character that we're supposed to be, you know, that that's supposed to be our hero. Our quotation story. hero, yes. Yeah. So 
we skip from that and we go back to Rose and Crow Daddy who are watching Snakebite Andy before she becomes Snakebite Andy uh, lure in her next victim, next pedophile that's you know that she's using. Um, and we kind of get to see her ability, which is her ability is to, uh, they, they say it's to push people, but it was more like she, she's the one that can, you know, the sleep of the title could be like a hint toward her. Because, I thought like, it she was too. Yeah. Um, well, there's some people that theorizes that the scene in the original shining movie, whenever, uh, <laughs> which is the scene that could be the scene that, you know, where Danny is molested, but we'll go away from that whole thing where him and Jack are in the room together. Wendy's downstairs watching a TV that's not plugged up as we've already discussed. <laughs> and, uh, he's like asking Jack, he's like, uh, well, how come you're not sleeping dad? And he's just like, I don't know. I just can't, you know, and it's like, and so the, the theory is that maybe King himself, even though he hated the movie, took that 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 line, you know, about you know uh, the fact that Danny was called Doc, and they were talking about sleep, and you know how he he needed, and he was wishing his dad could go to sleep, and took that, and I think that might even been in the novel too, to a certain extent, and and just and expanded upon that, and that the doctor's sleep is is Danny because he helps people like move to the other side is mm. what the the title's about, but. When you see this scene with uh with Snakebite Andy when she's first introduced, like she has a the literal ability to make you sleep. Literally, and... she says sleep and you fucking sleep. Like, can you come to my house, please? <laughs> but she can also uh, force you to do other things. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, as she does in the scene where she basically t- uh, you know robs the guy and then uh, tells him to carve a letter in his face so and remind uh, and tells him that he will always remember and 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 be unable to. Uh, he said. I think the way she phrases it is uh, you can explain away the money disappearing, but you'll never be able to explain away fully why you have this scar on your face. It's like the certain letter or whatever. Yeah. And, and, um, and she really impresses Rose uh, to the point that whenever they follow her out, of course, Andy uses her abilities on Crow Daddy. And I, I, and I don't know if it's because she's got more power with men or if it's the fact that Rose is stronger. There's never, it's not really discussed in the movie one way or the other. That would make like, the most sense. Which one? That oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. It would make sense that she uh, that she would have more power over men. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's part of it. I think that's the, the, the kind of what they were hinting at. They did, but like I said, they didn't really like elaborate if it's that or if it's Rose mm-hmm. that that's just stronger because Rose is the strongest, the true not like his you know psychic abilities. Um, but like Crow Daddy, like she just tells him to stay back and get away from her and he just has to comply. You can tell in his face, like he can't do a damn thing about it. Yeah. I couldn't tell um, if that was him, like if her, her powers actually worked or if he was just making her think that because, uh, Rose, Rose, the hat was coming. That's true. I mean, he could, because he was, he's also very good at playing people. That's kind of one of his abilities. Um, Anyway, she uh, tried on Rose, and Rose basically like, "You're not going to do that to me, honey." But like, you will come with us, and uh, and she actually offers her to become one of the True Knot, which is an interesting concept. We might as well break into right now because they they bring it up later. Apparently, the True Knot are all people who had the Shining, at least to my understanding. I don't know if that's what yeah, you got out of the movie. That's but my like, perception. Yeah. If you become a psychic vampire, you had the Shining to begin with, and you. And you give up that ability uh, and to the point where you have to feed upon other people's psychic powers, but you you basically age to the point of living for well for almost not not forever, but like a long time. A lot longer. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I don't feel like they gave it up, though, because I feel like they were still able to use the abilities. Obviously, you know, it came at a cost. Magic always comes at a cost. Yeah, they don't give it up completely. What I mean is, like, and I, and maybe it's because the ones in the movie are not as strong as our protagonist, and maybe that's why, the, and maybe I'm not reading that the right way. It came across to me that your power dampens a little bit when you become a true knot. Like, it's not as strong as it was whenever you were a lot, quote-unquote, a lot. Well, it is alive because... Uh, snake bite andy dies in the like the next scene after this like that it shows her like she dies and is brought back so yes um okay <laughs> to be fair uh rosa hat is a fucking greedy cunt because <laughs> i'm jumping ahead because she might sit there and do her meditation which is what typically somebody with those kind of powers is supposed to do Okay, witches believe in that shit that you are supposed to. If you think that you are any kind of spiritual person, you enhance it by meditating. And she did do a lot of that. But that bitch also had canteen after canteen of, oh, yeah. of the steam and literally watched one of the elders die in front of her. Like, oh, we we just can't do anything. And this cunt decides she wants to fucking power up and go drink the rest <laughs> of what's in the fucking canteens. Whore. It's, it's almost like watching, like, you know, somebody juice up before, like, yeah. a, 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 a match or something. It's like, let's pop this testosterone and, like, uh, do we have any blood that's been ran through somebody that's uh, highly oxygenated that we can throw in there, too? I mean, it's... Fuck, dude. It, I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm like... And then, he, like, I saw the canteens there. So when uh, Grandpa fucking Dagon was going, which is not really his name, that's just me, um... <laughs> She, I was like, doesn't she have those canteens? And then he perishes, and they all fucking breathe in his fucking dead dust. I'm like, ugh, that's like expired milk, um, y'all. <laughs> well, that that was the scene that I was going to bring up too. Like, whenever he dies, I think it's it's kind of creepy the fact that they don't like they cannibalize their own. Like, whenever the the steam rises up out of the body, yeah. like of the, even their own, like they they. They actually, I mean, they're fighting each other to go in there and get even that. And it's just like, okay, I guess you don't want it to go to waste. But, I mean, that's gross. Yeah. I mean, that was one of your own. He was old. Like, did you see how he was dying? Gross. Ew. <laughs> Nasty. Um, this is going to play into our discussion a little bit at the end of it about, like, the difference of the book. But the funny thing is, is that in the book, they, at this point, at the point where Grandpa Flick dies, they were actually all dying of measles at that time. Wow. Okay. And, 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 and and the reason why is that even though they were you know vampires and live forever and technically were immune to that, the fact that they had gotten less and less shine over the years, uh, which it's kind of hinted at in the book that it's not just like devices like that are dampening kids' minds, but also like Adderall med, you know, like Adderall. ADHD oh yeah, they did meds. say that. Um, not um, only that, in any kind of crazy med. Yeah, any kind of like pill, like if you put a, a teenager on Prozac or something, that dampens their shine. But um, the control. fact that they <laughs> like <laughs> the fact that kids nowadays had so so much less for them to feed off of, and they were getting so weak, and also the fact in the books they were all old people. Like I got to bring this up. Like in the movie, like they're all like I mean, like these thirty, forty yeah. year olds. Like I mean, and 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 kind of wild look too i mean like if you saw him you'd be like okay that's you know that's a group i don't want to mess with because they're kind of like a uh, more of like a, a weird nomadic you know uh yeah. tribe or something like that some of them looked homeless the books, she looked like a fucking hippie 
Yeah, like a hippie, you know, that sort of vibe. In the books, they were all like fat old people except for Rose. And the kind that you would see in RVs driving down the interstate, uh, you know, that were just on their way to vacation. And they and, and, and wear, they would wear like, you know, shirts that said something like, how's my grandkids doing or some kind of bullshit. Yeah. So they wouldn't stand out at all. Like they did, the, their whole thing in the books was they didn't want to stand out. And okay. to the point that. They didn't even carry guns because if they carried guns and, and they were pulled over by police, they would get questioned. So yeah. they, since they were serial killers, they wanted to be as low key as possible and, and try to avoid, which, you know, some people have an argument in the movie. It's like, well, you have these weirdo creeps that are like pulling into these areas and there's these dead bodies, surely to God, somebody at some point. But then also you have, there's, they have psychic abilities. So could they really, like if the police came around, couldn't they kind of do something to them? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I could see both arguments, but. Anyways, in the books, they were all dying of measles because they, <laughs> they had gotten so weak over time that whenever, and this is, I don't know if this was King throwing something there about vaccinate your kids because of the time that he wrote the book, it was like, you know, measles was popping up at like Disney World. But, uh, you know, like they, when they inhaled the steam of this one kid that was sick with measles, they all contracted measles and they were dying <laughs> from it. Which is hilarious, but that's, you know that's, yeah. that's not in the movie. Okay, <laughs> that's so good. Anyways, I'm glad so. they kept that out. Yeah, and how like how controversial would that have been? Because one year after this movie came out, COVID. True, <laughs> very true. Um, really, would have been weird. I mean, considering everything that's went on, but. I, uh, I'm glad they kept it out because it, it's it's yeah. hard to describe too, like without having the connotation about how they were weak and all that. Like, you, it would have not played well in the movie. So they were best just to show, like, because he didn't have enough food, Grandpa Flick just up and died. And like, I mean, you could sit there and well, that's stupid. Why didn't she get? You know, just like you said with a can, but like, you know, that's that's a little bit better wave of the hand than to say, well, they could have been contracted measles, and that's how that. It's like, okay, good, you left that out. We don't that. <laughs> Um, so we show, we show that the scene with Rose the Hat, you know, you know, kind of, uh, and inviting and snakebite Andy into the group and it's followed up by showing Abra for the first time. It's, she's a young kid at this point, uh, her, one of her first major birthday parties and she sees like this little spoon trick being done, you know, by this, like, (laughs) like basically one of those magicians you had, like a, a, a party for kids yeah. and she's like, I can do that. And like the parents are like, okay, okay, honey, you know, cause kids always do that sort of thing. It's like, I can do that. That's yeah. not a big deal. <laughs> but then whenever they go inside the house, like she's really done that. Yeah. Like, all the spoons, spoons are, are just fucking chilling on the ceiling, on the, on the ceiling, just spinning around and really creeps her parents out the first time when they realize that she actually has something else going on. Oh um, my God. Which by the way, as the film goes on, the the amount of how much they get used to her abilities is fucking hilarious. Well, I mean, it's either that or go crazy. So that's, yeah, that's, that's true. Two options. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it's kind of neat, and then they kind of foreshadow in this scene that she's as strong as Danny or, or stronger. You know, like because of, I mean, she just used her ability just a little bit, and like all those spoons, like oh, you know, yeah. were floating on the. You know, she's definitely got the cunning, the shining, the shining. She's got the shining. <laughs> um. 
we skip back to Danny and like, he's finally like the end of this like long trip that he's, I mean, it, it's not hinted at in the movie so much, but like in the book, he, he, it's been years since that, that time with the single mother and like, he's at the end of his ropes, like he has nowhere else to go. So he just like, you know, and he's out of money, I think too. So he just ends up in this one little town, but it happens to be the town that he needs to be in to kind of set his life straight because he meets uh, Billy Freeman there uh, yes. for the first time. And uh, a little, this is a little trivia about the book differences too. Billy Freeman is actually in the movie is two separate characters that are combined together. Um, the the Billy that the 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 friend that goes with him on the trip to to find the body of the kid is is another guy in the in the story. And Billy Freeman is the one that uh, he initially meets and helps him, you know kind of you know get in sobriety and, yeah. and, AA and all that stuff so they just and I, I think they did a good job combining the two characters because you really didn't need another character to be introduced just for like those two different parts yeah like it works having the one guy I, I i did i mean i didn't know about the second character but knowing now i'm like no it really worked out really good how they did it in the movie um and and you know some people would argue well just because this guy you know like helps run a little train and in, in a kid's park or whatever and, and, you know, is AA leader and all that stuff. Why does he have the, why is he such a crack shot? But they hint at it in the movie, which I, I like. I mean, they, maybe they didn't give it as early as I would have liked, but whenever he's digging up the kid, he's got that, or both of them's digging up the kid. He's got that. I mean, they both kind of smell that rot, you know, coming from the shallow grave. And he has this line about, you know, this reminds me whenever I was a hunter, you know, as a kid and, you know, like I, I shot this, you know, buck and like it didn't, you know, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. And like I, when I did find it, it smelled like this. Yes. So they set up the fact he was a hunter yes. before he went and had the scene where he was shooting at the true knots. So yes, because that, that was very that in fast and that was a really good way of putting it because, yes, I, I first I was like, wait a second. And my stepdad's like, yeah, but he was talking about being a hunter. And I was like, ah, yes, that is true. Yeah, it, I mean, it would have been nicer if it is introduced earlier because it's like they follow each other so quickly that it's kind of like a too quick of a setup to, to pay off, but that they threw it in there at least, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Billy's the one that offers Danny a, a job and, and a second chance. And the funny thing about this scene, too, that this is a there's two things about this that links to the uh, the Dark Tower. First of all, whenever Dan gets off the bus, it says, uh, I think it's Tet bus line, which it, there's a line in the, in the dark tower series, which is Tet, which is, uh, you know, means like, uh, the, the group, uh, you know, like the, you know, the gunslinger and his companions are a quartet, but that also means a wheel. It's like they're bound together. Destinies are bound together and all that. And it's kind of, and it's kind of symbolized this movie. Whenever he gets off that, that bus, his, his destiny is tied to Billy Freeman at that point, you know, is what yeah. they're hinting at, you know? Um, the other thing is too, is that there's a, there's a psychotic, um, AI train in, in one of the dark tower books called, uh, Charlie, the choo choo. <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, I think in the, in the, in the books, at least or in the novel, the little train that those kids ride around on that, that Danny's kind of, you know, was like the, you know, his conductor for whenever he, you know, was, uh, you know, kind of doing that as a part-time job. And then Billy's does as well is, is looks similar to Charlie, the choo choo. It's kind of like another, like, you know, kind of twist that, you know, it's linking it to the dark tower. Um, but anyways, so they meet up and, and he offers him a second chance. He, he says that Billy's got like a touch of the shine, like yes. he's at the novels because he looks at Dan and he's like, I feel this. He's a good guy. It's like his intuition is yeah. working. 
Um, and, and they mentioned it in the movie. It's like, you know, Dan has a scene later on when he's sitting on a park bench with Abra, which I actually like that scene quite a bit because he's looking around and she's like, what, what are you worried about? And he's like, I'm sitting on a bench with like a, a young oh, teenage yeah. girl. <laughs> this is not going to go well for either one of us. And, uh, but he mentions to her in that discussion, it's like, everybody's got a little bit of the shine, like the kid who can, you know, get straight A's without studying or, you know, or, or this or that, or the, you know, people that can pick like, you know, horses, you know, like at the, you know, and he kind of goes through and, and like Billy's got that because he can look at Dan and like, Dan's a good guy. I just need to give him a little bit of push to, to help him. And, and, and Billy's been the one for years. that has been like helping get people in the AA that actually stay with it. So that's kind of like his version of the shine. He can, yeah. he can sense He's when people are, you know, are going to work. Um, but we go back and we have the scene where the true knot turns Andy and, and it's kind of weird because it shows that it's a very painful process. Like whenever they, like she's, uh, she ha- it's it's like the old like timey vampire movies where you like you know uh, they cut their own wrist or something and you drink the vampire's blood and you become a vampire well you inhale like the uh, I think in this they're actually offering like the steam from some other from violet I think. yes it's it was violet like, yeah it's like the last little bit of steam that Vi- that they had from all those years ago from violet and they offer it up to her and when she inhales it she she, I mean, it's this horrible, like, I mean, her body's racked with this pain and she physically dies before she's, she comes back like a, a day or so later, you know, as one of the true not. Um, so it's kind of interesting that they show how painful a process it is. I wonder um, why they wanted to, I guess it makes sense to have her on the team because of her abilities, but. Some of them, quite frankly, seem pretty useless to me. And I'm like, why? If you're having trouble getting, if you're having trouble feeding the colony, why would you keep adding people without expelling some? Well, that's true. I, I mean, because there was, like in the books, in the book, one of the things is, is that Crow Daddy didn't have any, any abilities to, to speak of. Like, he was just, the reason Rose kept him around was that he was like, well, and it wasn't even Crow Daddy. Like, well, it was Crow Daddy, but in the books, he wasn't a Native American. He was just like this white guy that went by that name for some bullshit reason. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, one of those people, it's like, well, I'm a quarter, you know, or like I'm 116th Native American, you know, that sort of thing, <laughs> like those people. But anyways, the only reason she kept him around is not because he had any ability whatsoever, but it was because he, she knew that he completely was devoted to her 100% would not question her at all. And he was the one person that, that if anybody else turned on her, she had him. So that's why she kept Crow Daddy around in the, in the movies. Like, you know, it's obvious she keeps him around because he's got abilities. Like he tracks Abra later on, uh, much better than even Rose could like, and it's funny because like, I'm kind of sitting there wondering, it's like, why does Rose have to be one to track her or figure out her general location when Crow Daddy can go directly to her, her house without any, you know, like without being told where she's even at. Unless Rose. Well, I think uh, Rose sensed her first. She got a sense and she's like, I think she's in this general direction. I'm not 100% sure. And then he kind of did the, the bet. The, the, Oh my God. Yes. He did the rest. (laughs) What I meant to say, not the worst, (laughs) but it's funny because like he's, she's got that scene with him and, and, you know, and, and this is something different from the the novel. Like when he tells her, you stay here, you're hurt because at that point her hands mangled and we'll get into that scene (laughs) a little bit later on. But like, you know, he's like, you're hurt. You stay here. I'll go get the kid in the books. He would have never told Rose anything of the sort because no, everybody in the true not knew you did not tell Rose shit like she she gave you the marching orders you didn't tell her anything 
But um, but in that scene, he tells her he's like, I've got my. She's like, you need to go do this. He's like, it's okay. I've got my own tricks. Like, and and you know, and he finds he finds Abra's house. Like, yeah. Without you know, so it's kind of interesting. He he has abilities, but then like you're talking about, there's like two or three. Like Barry the Chunk, it never shows anything that he does. Like other than the fact he's just an ass. And, um, uh, th- there's like two or three more that are like, are barely shown in the movie and they don't do anything that yeah, I'm aware of. Yeah, they're just henchmen of, of sorts. They just die. Spoiler alert. Yeah, they, they're, they're just there. <laughs> they're the red shirts. They just die. They yes. go on the mission and they die. Um, and I don't understand. I mean, I, I think in the novel, they all had abilities to a certain extent, but some were really weak abilities. Like, and you often wonder, it's like, well, why did they accept these? The only thing I can think of, uh, is that they, they only said to people in the true knot that they knew were already people who were feeding upon others, you know, pr- with their shine ability prior to, you know, if you understand what I'm meaning, like they never accepted, like, or they never uh, took anybody in who they couldn't manipulate or use their own greed or their, you know, lust or whatever to their own benefit. Like, you know, it, like if you take somebody who's a good care, good person, they would feed off them. Yeah. But then like, if they caught somebody like snake bite Andy, who was already feeding, you know, off men, you know, with her abilities to begin with, it's like, well, she's already a vampire of sorts. Let's just turn her, you know, because she's already got the mentality to be one of us. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing I can get out of it. Why they would, and because some of them people, like even in the book, if I remember, I barely had any shine ability before they were turned into True Knot. And you wonder why they didn't just go for the most powerful people in the group. But maybe that's because they just needed foot soldiers. And Yeah, you know, that they, would make sense. I mean, power in numbers and you know, finding a gem like, you know, a snake bite Andy was like, oh, fuck, she's going to really be fucking reeling them in, you know? Yeah, because she's, the, I mean, she's the only reason they got that, that, uh, the baseball kid. Yeah. I mean, because he was not going to go with him. He sensed that they were bad and she forced him to, like, she used her ability. And because um, either he's a male or, you know, however her ability works, yeah. she's like, get in the van. And he, if, he couldn't, I mean, he had to do what she said. If there's one thing we find out in this movie is that women are very strong with the force in this movie. <laughs> Guys, they have it, but I mean, they don't know how to use it. <laughs> We'll get into some stuff about that in a little bit too. But um, so anyways, like, so we see the scene with Snake Bite Andy. Uh, we go back to Dan and he sees the ghost of, and this could be a dream, although is it the dream or is it the shine? I think it's the shine because where he's starting to sober up now, his shine's coming back. Yes. And he, and he sees the ghost of both the single mother and the baby, which yes. is a very, very dark implication yes. because that, they both died shortly after he left them. And in the book, it was because like the mother, um, uh, the, the mother's brother, the, the kid's uncle, the little kid's uncle, like was abusive and the, and the uncle killed the kid shortly after Dan left them. And then the mother overdosed. And that's why he sees them because, you know, it's not because of what he did, but he left them in a bad situation and they died. It doesn't imply that at all in the movie, and it almost makes me think that she was dead when he left. Yeah, and the kid and the kid died of malnutrition or neglect. Which, and yeah, because worse. in the in the movie, the baby was so close to her bosoms. Um, I thought it, it was almost as if it were trying to feed, and it died from lack of nutrition. She couldn't feed. Yeah. It's really dark, really. That, that implication is, it's really bad when you think about it. It just gives me chills even thinking about it. Like, he, he literally left them both to die in that scene. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't all there. He wasn't thinking. 
Um, but you can't have, I mean, you can't have a hero's journey if you don't have somebody, if they're already a hero to begin with. So I guess we, we see him at his worst and then go. Yeah, that's true. From there. Uh, um, so anyways, Billy takes him to AA. Um, we see that he's just 24 hours sober when he's at AA, but like his shine's already coming back because he has that scene with a doctor where he tells him, he's like, you lost your watch, right? He's like, well, if you, you left it next to the air dryer, you know, blah, 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 go back and it'll be there. Okay. And wait, the, I, I got to talk about the scene real quick. Did that office look <laughs> like the office from the Stanley hotel? It was, it was a complete re- replication of it. 100%. Uh, just, okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, it was, they went back and they totally, I mean, it's a little bit of trivia, but they totally replicated Ullman's office from The Shining. And it was, a, and, I, and I don't know what the implication is there, but like Jack Torrance's uh, interview with Ullman took place in an office that looked exactly like the, the office that Danny was, you know, interviewing for his job. Yes. Uh, you know, with the doctor. And, but. It's not, I mean, it, it could have been taken in a dark way. I mean, I mean, some people speculated that's a sign that you never truly escape, like, you know, the, like the history of your parents. You kind of like, you know, especially if you, if you were raised in trauma, you cycle back to some of the same stuff. And like he literally cycled into the same, like an office that looked exactly like the one at, at the worst point of his life where he had no other options. But for Dan, he it worked out because he, he was actually, it was his calling. He was being, you know, yes. I mean, him going into hospice was like the, the, the true calling that he was meant to go into as opposed to Jack who, you know, basically led his family into the lion's den, you know, with the, the ghost and everything, not meaning to, but he did. Yeah. You know? it, it just, that's just how it happened. Um, yeah, that was, that was insane. Um, but it's funny whenever they're in that interview, like, I mean, I, or one of the things that stuck out to me was that line. It's like, um, cause the doctor asked him, he's like, have you ever worked in a hospice before? And Dan looks at him. He's like, we're all uh, dying. You know, the, the, the world's one big hospice with fresh air. I think that's just, that line is mm-hmm. it's morose, but it's, it's so true. true. It's a, it's really, it's really dark. 